How many of y'all got problems? Show of hands, we're going to do a little truth telling. How many of y'all got problems? How many of y'all are sitting next to the person you were thinking about when I said, how many of y'all got problems? Well, it is a new year, and for many of us, as is often our rhythm, we think about in the new year uh, how it is that we're going to either resolve or, or mitigate our problems or what we perceive to be a problem. The problem might be a relational tension or frustration that we have. It could be a conflict. For some of us, the problem might be uh, physical. For some of us, it might be mental. For some of us, it's relational. For some of us, it's what we're going to do with our lives. For many of us, we begin the new year thinking about our problems and how it is that we're going to either solve or address those problems. And uh, I want to encourage you um, that you are in a room full of people who either have admitted just right now that they have problems or are lying to you about the fact that they have problems. Everyone here, for those of you joining online, you are not exempt. For everyone who is listening to the sound of my voice, we, all of us, have problems. And when we're thinking about our problems, when we're meditating on this new year, one of the things that we realize is we need wisdom to address or to lean into or to address and to solve the problems that we have. And if you're there, I want to encourage you that we're all there and that as a church family, we're beginning today a sermon series called Walking Wise, which is designed to give us wisdom for everyday life. And wisdom, our, our need for wisdom is usually most pronounced when we face a problem. And we all have problems. And so we're going to be in uh, the book of Proverbs. For those of you who are joining us here in person, uh, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 1. If you uh, don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Uh, We've printed it out in your handout. So did you guys get handouts today? Uh, should have them in your handout, Proverbs chapter 1. For those of you all joining us online, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to use it. If you don't have a Bible, just go to Bible.com. And again, we're in Proverbs chapter 1 today. Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to be looking at what, uh, what it means to walk wise. So walking with wisdom. One of the things that we talk about a lot here at Desert Springs is the way that we walk or the path that we walk. We, we talk frequently here at Desert Springs about walking the Jesus way. So walking the way of Jesus Walking the path. Walking is another way to talk about living. It's the step-by-step progression of life. The decisions that we make, our attitudes, our actions, our words, it's our lifestyle, it's our walk. And we want to walk wise. And so we're going to be in Proverbs. Now, uh, Proverbs is, uh, it's popular amongst people who read the Bible, primarily for this reason. It's exceptionally practical. Uh, many times, if, if you've ever tried reading the Bible, um, which I know for some of us, we're, we're kind of new to the whole Bible thing, and trust me, if you've ever tried to read it, I know there's a lot of weird stuff. For those of us who have been reading it for a long time, we still think there's just a ton of weird stuff there. But, but, but Proverbs is like the, one of the least weird it's like one of the like super practical. In fact, for many people, when they go to the Bible, they kind of want the whole thing to be like Proverbs. Proverbs is like quick, pithy, uh, easy to, to kind of grasp statements 
until you actually start really meditating on it, and then you realize it's also complex and a little bit frustrating. Are you encouraged today, friends? So Proverbs is popular because it's, there's kind of short, pithy statements in the second half. The first half is a little more narrative. Uh, but we want to go to the Bible because we want wisdom. And for many of us, and, and I've been a pastor, I've been a pastor, oh, Long time. Uh, 17, yeah, 17 years. So in my tenure as a pastor, one of the things that I've noticed is that there are many, that one of the compelling reasons for people to get religion uh, is because they've got a problem and, and they've tried everything and they're wondering if God can help. And if you're in that space today, man, I'm so glad you're here. But I want to give you an encouragement that's not going to sound like an encouragement. Following Jesus is not, uh, <laughs> it's not about problem solving. It's about growing into the type of person who can face any trial that comes our way. So, so if you, let me just give you, uh, um, <laughs> okay, let me just give you something. If you're here to fix your spouse, <laughs> we all got problems. If you're here to fix your spouse, if you're here to fix your kids, if you're here to fix your parents, if you're here to get some sort of thing that can fix other people, I want to give you the hard truth. Following Jesus ain't about fixing other people. It's about you maturing into the type of person who can engage all people regardless of their faults and failures. Kind of like this guy I know named uh, Jesus. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. So that's, that's just a little spoiler alert. I don't want to oversell. But, but I did want to tell you that Proverbs addresses, it's popular because it addresses all sorts of things. Money, vocation, school, retirement, relationships, family stress, friends, enemies, marriage, sex, children, parents. How many of you are your problems, you don't have to raise your hand, but are your problems related to something that you're seeing presently on the screen? Okay? Now, <laughs> was it Biggie that said, like, mo' money? Is that, am I, who was it? It was Biggie, right? Yeah, more money, more problems, right? So more any of this stuff, more problems, right? So, so many of our problems are in this category. And Proverbs is so great because Proverbs specifically gives wisdom for all of the things. In fact, if, if your problems are in this space, I want to make you, I, I just want to tell you that Proverbs, over this next six-part study, we're going to fix all your problems, all of your problems in all this space is going to get totally fixed. In fact, the, you guys don't believe me. <laughs> okay, so, so you should, should. So watch this now. In fact, I, I, I want to give you just one word. One word is going to solve or at least give you the power to speak to and enter into wisely all of these spaces. It's one word. And when you see the word, when you hear the word, everyone in here, they're going to see the word, you're going to hear the word, and you're going to go, of course. Okay? Because it's going to be so obvious to you. Ready? All of the problems, one word. And when you see it, you're going to go, of course, of course. Oops. First sermon of the year. I'm a little whoop, spicy. Okay, so ready? This is going to be obvious to you, okay? Okay. The word is, uh oh, trees. Of course. Of course. Of course, you know that if you were to meditate deeply on trees, 
all of your problems would be solved. You would have the wisdom to engage all of your problems. Every point of conflict, every type of argument, every type of relational problem that you've got, every decision that you're facing around money and vocation and school, every type of frustration that you're feeling around your family, your parents, your kids, your spouse, every difficulty that you're having with your body and your mind, if you would just meditate on trees, you would, of course, recognize the godly wisdom that's there. Now, y'all don't believe me. And one of my problems is this congregation, because y'all <laughs> ain't believing me today. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna do my best. I know it's unbelievable. I'm going to do my level best to make this argument that if we just meditated more on trees, we might find a deep wisdom. So let's check this out. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, and the spirit or the breath of God hovered over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And et cetera, et cetera, God made a bunch of stuff. And then, on the sixth day, God made people. He made human out of the dirt of the ground. This is all in Genesis 1 and 2, by the way. And he said to people, humans, he said, you are made in my image. I want you to go out into the rest of the cosmos and make it like the garden. I want, God is saying to humans, I want to co-rule the cosmos with you. I want you to be my partner. I want you to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, TV time out. For many of you, you've heard this. For many of you, you've never heard this before. Regardless of where you're at, I want to invite you in. Uh, today, we're starting something a little bit different. At 11 o'clock in here, we're going to do a deep dive study. Uh, the deep dive studies over the course of this series are going to take one element of the, the text that we're reading uh, in the sermon, and we're going to just dive deep and do like an hour-long study. So it'll kind of be like a lecture with a little question and response. So if you have questions today during the sermon, uh, you can text them in, the number's in your handout. You can text those questions in, and I'll try to address them during the deep dive study. But if you don't have a group to go to today, I want to highly encourage you, join me today, 11 o'clock, in this room as we do a deep dive in Genesis 2 in particular. We're going to look deeply at the story that I just kind of went by very quickly. Also, coming up in just a few weeks, uh, Jeff and Jen LaFrance are going to be hosting a deep dive study that's, I think, four parts on Genesis 1 through 11. So if you've never done a deep dive in Genesis, you've got to do that study. More information in your handout. And if you don't like lectures and you don't like deep dive studies, we actually have two groups that are starting today. Uh, one of our elders, Arthur, and Pastor Danny are going to be hosting uh, sermon discussion groups where we just dialogue and discuss. I won't be there, so you you could tell uh, our other leaders that I'm just full, that everything I did was hot trash and you've got better ideas. That's a perfect place in those discussion groups. But, but if you don't have a study or group to go to, I want to highly recommend those. So if you want to know more about the story I just told, come today. We'll do a deep dive in Genesis chapter 2. That'll be at 11 o'clock in here. God created the heavens and the earth. He made people, put them in Eden, said, I want to co-rule with you and make the rest of the world like Eden, that was the command to humans. Now, in the center of the Garden of Eden, there were two, two trees. You guys ever heard this before? There was the tree of life. And then there, and what's really fascinating, at the center of the garden is the tree of life. And if you eat from the tree of life, that you live, uh, you know, a long time. 
Next to or near the tree of life at the center of the garden is the tree of knowing good and bad. And one of the things that has perplexed many Bible readers for centuries is why were they so close together? Here's why. Those trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and bad, presented humans with a choice. You see, God said, you can eat from any tree. If you eat from any tree, it's for your nourishment. In fact, I'm giving you the tree of life. Eat as much as you want from any tree, including the tree of life. But there's one tree. There's one tree you shall not eat of. If you eat from the tree of knowing good and bad, you will surely die. Now, do you think God, in his infinite wisdom, created fruit, a fruit tree, and then said, I really don't want anyone to eat the fruit, so I'm going to make up a rule. You think that's what's going on? No. Here's what's going on. The two trees are a test. It's a choice. It's a path, a fork in the road. You see, what God had set up in Eden is the same thing you and I face every moment of every day. You see, the tree of life, God said, I made this. It is good for you. It is delightful for you. It is life-giving to you. This is the tree of life. Eat to your fill from the tree of life. But do not eat from this other tree, this tree of knowing good and evil. For if you eat of it, you'll surely die. And here's why, here's why okay, this is my current understanding. Why is it called the tree of knowing good and bad? Here's why. Because by reaching out their hand to take of the fruit that God had said don't eat of, they are deciding for themselves what is good and what is bad. This is the test, the two trees. I will either trust God's definition of good and bad, or I will decide for myself what is good and what is bad. Do you see it? And so the trees, the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and bad, it's a fork in the road, a test, a moment to decide whose wisdom will I rely on? Will I, in this fork in the road, rely upon God's wisdom or will I be wise in my own eyes? Will I decide what is good and what is bad? And here's what's interesting. In the narrative of Genesis, which we'll study today a little bit more at 11, it says that the humans looked upon the tree of knowing good and bad, and they saw it was delightful to the eyes and desirable. How many of us have ever faced a decision where God's way seems undesirable and stupid, and what we decide is wise in our own eyes feels desirable, trustworthy, and we think will lead to good? Is that not the nature of every problem that we face? I'm facing a fork in the road. Here's this person. Here's this argument. Here's this tough decision. And I can choose to go God's way, which may not seem like it's going to lead to life and life abundant. But this way, mm, this is, um, I'll give you just a quick example, okay? Um, when I'm, uh, just for me, okay, so, so when I'm in an argument with someone, I oftentimes, I, I oftentimes will make the choice when I'm faced with the choice to elevate my voice, make my body bigger, and pound the pulpit harder when I know I'm ha I have a weak point. 
because it feels like what I want, what's going to, what's delightful in my own eyes is for me to dominate and conquer, which, by the way, every time I've done it, do you know that it has not led to a deeper union between me and my friends or loved ones? (laughs) Never have I ever done that where someone's like, you know what, Caleb, I love you more (laughs) now in this present moment because of this behavior. I failed the test, because the test is before us in every moment. Will I take from the tree of life? Will I trust in God's wisdom, or will I take from the tree of my own discerning of knowing good and bad for my own self, which ultimately leads to death? In those cases, it leads to death of relationship. It's the test before each one of us. It's a daily choice. So let's get into Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Now, Proverbs, all, all, this, all Scripture is wisdom literature. So, so what I'm about to say, I don't want to cut you. You've heard us say this many times here at Desert Springs. All Scripture is wisdom literature. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 15 says that the Scriptures are designed to make us wise. They're designed to make us wise unto faith and salvation, uh, faith in Jesus, which leads to salvation. So all of Scripture is wisdom literature, but the Proverbs in particular are a specific type of wisdom literature. And one of the things, you remember um, when I, have you guys ever heard this? Like if there was one thing you could meditate on, it would solve all your problems. What was the thing? Um, It was the um, one word, what was it? Trees, that's right. Okay, so here's where that's coming from. You guys think I'm making this up. I'm not. Check this out. Proverbs 3, 18 through 19 says this. Proverbs 3, 18 through 19 envisions wisdom in a few different uh, ways, a few different metaphors or allegories. One way is as a woman, but the other way is as follows. Check this out. This is going to... This is going to... Wisdom. She is a tree of life. Let me do that one more time. Speaking of wisdom, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, who reach out their hand and take from the tree of life, who take of God's wisdom, who at that fork in the road, those who choose God's path, who choose God's wisdom instead of their own wisdom, it is for them a tree of life. To all who take hold of God's wisdom, it is a tree of life. So if we just meditate on trees... Happy are all who hold fast to her. Check this out. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. The Lord. Okay, so I want you to, okay. um, Okay. In the beginning, God what? God spoke the cosmos into existence. Uh, Any sci-fi fans? We got any sci-fi fans in the house? Okay, the rest of y'all, lame. Okay, so sci-fi, sci-fi is the business. Okay, so uh, not a lot of hands got raised, so I don't know if I can use the metaphor. Okay, so I just want you to, I just want you to imagine, just want you to imagine the fabric of the cosmos becoming interwoven by God's hand. So I want you, like, like, look up to the galaxies that are beyond ours, right? Zoom all the way out to the edge of the Milky Way. The fabric of the cosmos, the interwoven nature. Now, are you guys in the Milky Way right now? Okay, so now I want you to zoom all the way down to a molecule. 
and see right there as well the very fabric of the cosmos being woven together. So from the molecule all the way up to the Milky Way. You got me? That there is, a, there is an interwoven fabric of the cosmos that was woven together by which seamstress? The Lord. And how, in what character quality did the Lord weave together the cosmos? Wisdom. So let me, let me try something. I'm going to try something on you. Don't get freaked out. Don't get weirded out. But there are two paths that we can go down. A path, watch me now, a path that is going with the flow or with the grain of the cosmos, which is God's wisdom. Or a path that is going against the flow, or if you're a woodworker, against the grain of the cosmos. Which is why when we choose what is wise in our own eyes, we are going, not only are we going against the flow of the cosmos, when we go against the wise, God's wisdom, the flow of the cosmos, how does that, what does that do to us? Even if we don't see it yet. Even if we don't see it yet. Um, isn't that cool? Like in wisdom, God wove together the cosmos, which means the fabric that is holding the cosmos together is wisdom. And every choice that we make, every fork in the road, when we're looking at the two trees, hmm? when we're looking which way to walk, we can either choose to walk with the wise flow of the cosmos or against the flow or against the grain. Cool, huh? Proverbs is awesome. All right, let's keep going. Here we go. Okay, we're finally here, friends. That was like a 34-minute introduction. The Proverbs... Of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now Solomon, real quick here, this is super nerdy of me. Solomon here is, is, this is not meaning that Solomon wrote all these down or that they all came from him. He's an archetypical literary device, meaning, um, oh, how should I say? Actually, all the wisdom books in scripture riff on Solomon as an archetypical character. So, so it's not to say that Solomon wrote all these down, but Solomon was wise, and uh, these are his proverbs. For learning... So this is the point of Proverbs. What's the point? For learning, wisdom, and... Watch this now. Wisdom is proven in the doing. We might think ourselves wise, you know, sitting up in our, what is it called, ivory towers with our many leather-bound books and our pipes and our fancy hats. and <laughs> But wisdom is proven, notice this, it's proven in the walking. A wise walk is what we want. Hmm? Discipline. For understanding insightful sayings. For receiving prudent instruction. Why do you need instruction? Because sometimes it's difficult to know which way to... Okay. Oh, <laughs> you guys know that I'm heavy on this one. If you guys have ever heard me preach, you've heard this. In what... Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are often coupled throughout your entire Bible. Hundreds of times, righteousness and justice are coupled together. Another way to put this, now hold on here, could be social justice. 
Justice not just between you and me, but justice in society. Now, some of us are a little bit taken aback by that phrase because some people in our current cultural moment use social justice as a derogatory term. I, I don't think it is. It's, a, it's actually a theological term that's been used over 100 years by theologians. And it means justice not just interpersonally, but justice where? Socially between groups of people in our community, righteousness, justice, and integrity. Now, this, this word can also be translated as, as equity. In every situation, treating the situation equitably or with justice and righteousness. In fact, righteousness and justice are some of the most frequently uh, repeated character qualities of God. Okay, um, that was... <laughs> That was my soapbox. I'm off. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, for teaching, notice teaching what? Oh, this is interesting. Now, some of you might say, you know, Caleb, I read Genesis chapter 3 the other day, and it said that the serpent in the garden was shrewd. Isn't that a tension? Yes, it is, and I'm not going to resolve it right now. <laughs> I'm just going to let it be right there. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys want to do four-hour sermons? I'll come back and resolve it. But y'all don't want to do that, so let's keep going. So two, the, in, the inexperienced, shrewdness to the inexperienced. This is fascinating. Adam and Eve standing before God. God wanted them to be co-rulers, and yet in their state in Genesis 1 and 2, what were they? They were inexperienced. They were inexperienced. Uh, if, I'm going to get weird with you for a second. Um, it is my current understanding that the author of Proverbs is heavily riffing on, like, like um, uh, uh, repeating themes that you find in Genesis. In fact, all throughout Proverbs, you're going to find that. And one of the themes is that you and I, the reader of Proverbs, are, are supposed to take up the spot of Adam and Eve in the garden. Before us is a choice the tree of life, or the tree of knowing good and evil on our own. That test is before each one of us. And through Proverbs, you're going to get these little riffs, these little callbacks to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that you and I as human are facing tests. And I don't mean tests like, um, like a mean teacher or something like that. It's just like um, if you've ever tested like a pool, have you guys ever seen a swimming pool, Phoenicians? Like a swimming pool. And, and you know when the swimming pool turns colors you don't want it to turn? And, and inevitably someone in your household says, go, go test it. And you take the little stupid, what is it, pH strip, and you go out there and you dip it in and you pull it out and it changes a different color. And that's a test. It's simply, the test is simply telling you what's going on inside. Before each of us is a test. Daily there's a test. What's going on inside is proven in the walk. It's a test. And we are taking up the posture of Adam and Eve. Knowledge and discretion to a young man. Okay, again, inexperienced. Let a wise... So even if you think you're wise, what is a wise person supposed to do? Let a wise person listen and increase your learning. And let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. I love this. I love that it says discerning, a discerning person needs to obtain guidance to understand proverbs, parables, and riddles. Do you know why we need discerning to understand proverbs, parables, and riddles? Sometimes they're hard to figure out. 
Now, here's the jam. I love this. There is a beautiful literary wisdom in the book of Proverbs, where sometimes you read portions of it. This is actually all throughout Scripture. You're going to read a portion of Scripture, and it's going to feel contradictory. It's going to feel like it doesn't make sense. It's going to feel frustrating. That is a feature, not a bug. Here's the feature. The authors and editors of Scripture are inviting you to do this. Hmm. And to meditate on what might presently be perceived as a contradiction or tension. It's an invitation to think more deeply. You know, um, the Bible is not something like a one and done, like your car manual. You read it once, you, got, you know what the light means on the dashboard, done. The scripture is wisdom literature. It's to be, as the, Psalter, uh, the author of Psalms says uh, multiple times, meditate on God's word day and night. If it was a one and done, you wouldn't need to meditate on it day and night. But sometimes it comes to us in riddles, parables, and proverbs where we're supposed to go, hmm. And so we need wisdom and discernment. Now, how do we start? The author of Proverbs helps us to give us a little glimpse of the path to walk down, right? We're looking down, which path should we go down? Should we go this way or this way? Most of us are facing, right now, even today, we're facing forks in the road, we're facing decisions, we're facing tensions, we're facing a test between the tree of life and the tree of knowing good and bad for ourselves, but it's hard to tell which path to take, isn't it? Like, how many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you want to do the wise and loving thing, but you're not sure what that is? Is the author of Proverbs singing your song? We need wisdom and discernment. So, so, how, so, so when, if you're there, I'm going to give you a life hack. When you're there and you're not even sure which, which foot to put in front of the other, which way am I going to go, which decision am I going to make, wisdom starts here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, on the other hand, despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord. Now, now that word fear, for many of us living in using modern-day English, that's almost always a derogatory word, but I don't think so. Fear can mean a reverent awe and respect. You guys ever been to outer space? A couple times? Yeah. I mean, some of us have been to outer space, you know what I mean? But, I mean, for real, it's like actual outer space. Okay, when you go to outer space, um, you guys all know this, you, like, you can't just take your street clothes to outer space, right? Like, you got to get, like, if you're going to, like, open the hatch and, like, go out into space, you can't wear your street clothes, right? What do you have to wear if you're going to go into space? A space, we even have a suit for it, space suit. Different than birthday suit, I found out. It's a different situation altogether. Not every time is it. Okay, so space suit, right? You, it's the suit you wear into space. Now, why do we have space suits? Here's why. Because we fear space. Now, it's not fear of retribution. It's not fear that space has it out for us. It's simply a reverential awe and respect for the very power of space. And if you are doing space flight in your spacesuit and you're in a space shuttle and you are flying too close to the sun, what's going to happen to you? You will feel the glory and weight of the sun. 
and it will do something to you that you don't want to have done to you. Now, is the sun vengeful? No. When, when I say we should have a fear of the sun, that means that we respect it. We have a reverential awe for its power. And we are going to behave accordingly that I can't coexist in the same space as the sun. Fear. You, you, you with me so far? Not the same as anxiety. Fear of the Lord. Reverential awe, wonder, and respect. Now, humans in the garden. There's two paths. Led Zeppelin said there are two paths you can go down. The path to the tree, uh, stairway to heaven reference, by the way, for those of you who have been outer space. So <laughs> the tree of life, God's wisdom, the tree of knowing good and bad on my own accord, which leads to death. Every one of us faces the decision. And in the moment, hold on, come with me now. In the moment of choosing which path I'm going to go down, a check, a question that I can ask myself is, in this moment, am I having a reverential awe and respect, fear, of the Lord or someone or something else? On every human heart, there is a throne. And on that throne sits our God. And sometimes that God is the God of the cosmos. And sometimes that God is sex, money, power, family, parents, children, vocation, friendships. The thing that we hold with utmost power and esteem, our God. In the moment of deciding... Which path I will go down? A check question is, am I having a fear of the Lord? Or am I having a reverential awe and respect for someone or something? One of my uh, favorite classic movies is the Godfather trilogy. Any fans? It's not sci-fi, don't worry. Okay, so... Tell you about the Godfather. Godfather was a trilogy. The thir third one sucks. Just watch the first two if you ever watch it. In the Godfather movies, you have a man named Michael Corleone. Michael Corleone's dad is a mob boss. He's head of one of the five families. And he's dying and eventually dies in the movie. Spoiler. And this movie is 60 years old, so just spoilers. Okay, so um, what, there's, this, there's a, a, hand, a series of moments where Michael Corleone who wants to do the right thing at the beginning of the movie. He wants to choose the straight path. Through a series of compromises, ends up choosing to become a worse mobster than his father. But at every point, every decision that turns him down this path of murderer, every decision, do you know what he says? It's for the family. He justifies doing countless acts of evil and injustice and unrighteousness and inequity and, and lack of integrity. He does so at every choice, every fork in the road. He says, it's for the God who has the throne of my heart. You see, in the Godfather trilogy, one of the things that it's trying to articulate is if you take a created thing and make it the ultimate thing. You will constantly reach out your hand and take from the tree of knowing good and bad for yourself in order to protect and propagate that thing. 
And so at every fork in the road, the decision faces us. Which will I fear? Now, I said, did I say I was going to give you a life hack? Okay, okay, great. Come with me. This is cool. The Bible is an interwoven story that leads ultimately to Jesus. And I want to show you how Proverbs leads you to Jesus. The, uh, the apostle um, uh, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, said this, that Jesus Christ is the power of God and that Jesus, follow me now, that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the, if you want to see God's wisdom walking, look at Jesus. This is so good, right? So in the garden, there's two paths. Which way will humans walk? God takes on flesh and shows up and walks in front of us and says, this way. Come and follow. Oh, Jesus kept saying stuff like this. Follow me because I am wisdom incarnate. Jesus, if you want to know what it looks like to walk wise, you ask yourself, what is the Jesus way? And the Jesus way, <laughs> let me ask you guys a question, rhetorical question. If you were faced with preserving your own life or taking up a cross, what do you think is the wise option? <laughs> Self-protection, right? According to our own wisdom, powering up and leveling up and securing myself, that seems to be the wise way. But you know what that ends up doing? It ends up creating destruction and disharmony within the community. Only a selfless, self-giving love that looks like a cross leads to life abundant. You see, after Jesus took on the cross, dying at the hands of his own creation, they buried him. And if that was the end of the story, that path sucks. Yeah. Now